This past summer at the Olympic Games in Rio, there was a lot of talk surrounding the high jump event. And that's because the high jumper from Canada had a very unusual technique. Typically, high jumpers run in from the right and they build up speed so that the momentum, when they finally lift off, will carry them up and hopefully over the bar. But Derek Druin from Canada came in from the left and he looked like he was in slow motion. Now, it turns out that he developed this different kind of technique because he was really in tune with himself. He understood the body that God had given him, and he really understood what he was best at. High jumpers need a lot of flexibility, and Derek wasn't blessed with that gift, and so he kind of leaps and bounds, keeping his legs straight to save his energy for the final jump. And the reason he comes in from the left is a little bit more mundane. It has to do with the fact that he set up a high jump pit in his family's basement. Now, he took a broomstick and he put it on two speakers. And he could adjust the height by using stacks of books. And he put a pile of couch cushions behind the bar, behind the broomstick, as his landing pad. But because the basement of the family home had kind of a dog leg to the left, he practiced all those years running in from the left, and he just never changed. Now, despite those differences, he won a gold medal this summer. And because of those differences, a lot of comparison was made between him and another innovative high jumper from the 68 Olympics, Dick Fosbury. Dick Fosbury grew up in Oregon, and when he was in high school and just starting to do the high jump, uh, they taught him the ongoing technique of the day, and that was to run straight into the, the high jump area and to jump over it leg first, and kind of to roll over it, to straddle the bar, or to kind of scissor yourself over it. But for Dick Fosbury, that never worked for him, and He understood himself, and he listened to kind of what his own skills were, and and so he developed his own style, and that was to run at an angle toward the bar, and while he was in midair of the jump, to kind of flip over, and he would go over the bar headfirst backwards. Now, that drove his coaches crazy, because that was not the right way to do it, but it's what worked for him, and it gained him attention because he started winning meets using that technique. And the local media noticed, although some of them weren't very kind about it, one of the local newspapers dubbed him the world's laziest high jumper. Now, another newspaper was a little bit uh, more tender about it, and they inadvertently ended up naming the move when they printed the headline, Fosbury Flops Over Bar. And Dick Fosbury would use the Fosbury flop throughout high school and into college, and it's what took him to the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, where he would win the gold medal. He changed the face of his sport. In the next Olympic Games in 1972 and through the year 2000 uh, Olympic Games, 34 of the 36 Olympic medalists in high jump, all were using the Fosbury flop. He was a game changer. This morning, I'll be concluding our sermon series, Game Changers, 
we've been looking at different athletes and how they have changed their sport and then gone on to change the world. For Dick Fosbury, because of his success in his field, he was able to use that influence to make a difference in the world around him. He became a part of a group, an organization called Champions for Peace. It's a group of 54 world-class athletes that travel all around the world, and they're committed to bringing peace in this world, using sports to bring people together. Now, not only did we look at athletes throughout this sermon series, but we've looked at different people throughout Scripture, ordinary people that God has used to change the world. And we've been reminded that these scriptures are an example to us, that we are called to live lives that make a difference in the world. We are called to be game changers. This morning's scripture is from the first book of Samuel, and it's a look into the prophet Samuel's early life. Now, you may remember Samuel's mother was named Hannah, and early on, she was not able to have children. And she prayed and prayed for a child. She prayed to God that if God would bless her with a child, she would dedicate that child back to God. Well, God heard her prayers, and she gave birth to a baby boy named Samuel. And when Samuel was old enough, she took him to the temple to continue his education and to serve the Lord. And so this this story happens when Samuel's a a young boy, and he's sleeping at night in the temple. It says he's sleeping near the Ark of the Covenant. He probably had the responsibility of taking care of the worship elements. And he was asleep. He was serving under the priest Eli, who was asleep in his room. And in the middle of the night, Samuel hears the voice of God calling his name, Samuel, Samuel. Well, he wakes up and And he thinks it's Eli. And so he runs to Eli's room and he said, here I am, you called me. Well, Eli kind of was awakened and he said, I didn't call you, go back to bed. Samuel goes back to his bed and and again, the voice of God calls him. And again, naturally, he believes that it's the voice of Eli. And so he runs to Eli's room and here I am, you called me. Now, I have to think that Eli's pretty nice at this point because this is the second time he's been awakened and he said, I didn't call you my son. How nice is that, you know, to be awakened a second time? I didn't call you my son. Go back to bed. Well, a third time, Samuel goes back to bed, and he hears the voice of God, Samuel, Samuel. And again, he runs to Eli's room, and finally, Eli understands what's going on. He understands that it's God talking to Samuel. And so he sends Samuel back to bed, and he says, if you hear the voice of God again, You need to respond by saying, speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. Now, Samuel would go on to become a prophet of God. But here in this moment, we see when he first learns to recognize God's voice in his own life. He would be a game changer, bringing hope and a message from God to all the people of Israel. We can be game changers if we will listen for God's voice in our lives and share that message with the world around us. And I think there are three things that can help us this morning. First is that God will speak to those even before they know them. Now, I love the verse in this passage of Scripture where it says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord, 
and the word of God had not been revealed to him. Now, a lot of times in life, we think that we have to have arrived before we ever connect with God. We think that we have to be perfect and holy and have everything together before God will have anything to do with us. We think of God as some kind of high official that we have to impress or we have to earn God's favor. But the truth is God loves us as a parent. And just like a parent, God is speaking to us and loving us before we are ever aware of it. God is speaking to Samuel, even though Samuel's really not aware of God in his life. Now, Samuel's serving in the house of the Lord. I'm sure he knew about God, but he just didn't recognize God's voice in his life. And so in, in, in this instance, God isn't held back by the fact that Samuel doesn't know him. God isn't waiting until Samuel gets everything right before God can speak to him. God is already working in Samuel's life. Recently, I saw a bumper sticker that said, God will speak to us if we will listen. Now, I understand the sentiment behind that bumper sticker, and and I appreciate what that person was trying to convey, but I just disagree with that. God is not relying on us for communication. God doesn't wait for us to fully understand God before God works in our lives. God's love for us is not limited by us. God has always been at work in our lives. God has loved us from the very beginning, whether or not we have been aware or recognized God's presence. Now, most of us will know the story of Helen Keller. She was born in 1880 in Alabama, and until she was 19 months old, she had a normal life. She could see and hear, and she was starting to put words together to speak with her parents. But when she was 19 months old, she contracted some kind of uh, sickness. We don't know what it was. It might have been something like scarlet fever or meningitis. But when she was finally able to recover, she was blind and deaf. And now here's this young girl, no longer able to communicate. She had been thrust into a world of of darkness and silence. People around her thought that she must be mentally handicapped because she wasn't able to communicate. But she was just trapped. She wanted to speak. She wanted to express herself. We all have a need to express our thoughts and feelings and, and to hear that from others. But Helen was denied that. Now, her parents worked hard in her life to give her everything she could possibly need, but those first few years were very traumatic for her, being trapped and feeling all alone and only able to communicate in the most basic of ways. Her parents were able to finally find a teacher that was a hardworking, very patient woman by the name of Anne Sullivan. Now, Anne knew a little bit about what Helen was going through because when Anne was a young girl... She had contracted an eye infection that left her almost completely blind. She had gone to a school for the blind to understand and learn the techniques for working with uh, children who were blind. And, And so when she came to Helen Keller, she started signing words, spelling out words in the palm of Helen's hand to help her understand to communicate. Now, it took a long time for Helen to connect that this represented this, but when she did, when, 
when she understood that this was a method by which she could communicate, her world opened up. She was hungry to learn about everything. Her appetite for education was just incredible, and her parents gave in to that, and they made sure she had the best education possible. But they also knew that the most important thing that they wanted for their daughter was for her to learn about God. And so they made arrangements for Anne and Helen to go and meet with Philip Brooks. He was one of the most famous preachers of that day. Now, you may be familiar with his name because of a hymn that he wrote there in the Holy Land. He wrote the Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Now, Philip Brooks was famous for being able to take the mysteries of God and communicate them in a way that everyone could understand. And so when they met, Anne told Philip to please talk about God in in ways that Helen could understand. And she would spell out the words to translate what he was saying so that Helen could hear his words. And so he started talking about God and God's love for Helen and And Helen started to get excited and more and more animated. And finally, she couldn't take it any longer. And she stopped Anne. And Helen started signing back words to Anne for Anne to translate. And she was saying, I know this God you're talking about. He's been with me from the very beginning. I just didn't know his name. God has been with us from the very beginning. And God speaks a message of love in our lives, whether or not we've known God's name. Second, God speaks to us so that we can share the message with others. Now, in this passage of text, I I really feel sorry for Eli. He is a priest. He has been faithful all these years, but he's coming to the end of his life. And the beginning of the passage describes him as saying his eyesight was beginning to grow dim. Now, the Bible was saying that literally because he was losing his eyesight. He was starting to go blind. But the Bible is also reflecting that figuratively. He, in his later years, maybe life had gotten in the way, he was starting to drift from God and he wasn't able to spiritually see all that he needed to. And so, as he kind of drifted from God, maybe it was because of his two sons. He had high hopes for his children. He thought that his two sons would become priests, just like he was. And yet they were corrupt. They took from the temple. They were, they were greedy and lazy. And I'm sure that caused him a great amount of disappointment. And so on this third time that Samuel comes into his room, he finally understands what's happening. And Can't you imagine his disappointment? He wanted to hear the word of God. He wanted to be the one to share a message of hope with the people of Israel. And God is speaking to this young child who doesn't even know that it's God. And yet, you see this this man of God come back to faith, this great strength in him, this great humility. And there's a play on words here. It says that Eli perceived that God was speaking to the young boy. At the beginning of the passage, it says that Eli was losing his eyesight, and now it says that he perceived, he saw that God was speaking to Samuel. 
And because he saw that, therefore, he told Samuel how to respond. It's very definitive. Therefore, he told Samuel to go back and lie down and and to say to the Lord, speak for thy servant hears. This faithful man of God, who must have been a little disappointed, understood that God was speaking to the boy, and therefore he had only one option. He helped him see God's message in his own life. Now, that moment was a defining moment in Samuel's life because we get a glimpse on how he becomes a prophet. He becomes a prophet because he's able to hear God's word and be able to translate that for the people. And it's Eli, the faithful priest, the priest who may have been disappointed in his later life, it's Eli who helps Samuel to understand and recognize God's word so that he can share it with others. God wants us to know how much we are all loved. God wants us to live life to the fullest, but not just for ourselves. God has given us this gift of life that we might know joy and meaning, but that we might also help others find that same purpose in life to make a difference. One of my favorite sports in the Olympics, or at least the Winter Olympics, is speed skating. Now, I have loved watching Apollo Ono, and I grew up watching the likes of Dan Jansen and Bonnie Blair, and one of the best U.S. speed skaters, Eric Hyden. In 1980, in the Olympics at Lake Placid, New York, Eric Hyden won five gold medals. He was incredible. Now, he came from just a down-to-earth, rather normal family, but they were sports family. They were competitive, and so... As he was growing up, he was a youth, he loved hockey, but he perceived that he was better at speed skating. And so he devoted his time and energy to honing his skills. He would practice five hours a day, honing his skating and strengthening his body. So that by the time he got to 1980 Olympics, the commentators were talking about his thighs being key to his success the muscular thighs, his muscular body. In fact, his waist measured 32 inches in diameter and his thighs were 29 inches. He had really worked hard to achieve that. But as good as he was, he didn't enjoy the notoriety. And so he retired from speed skating after those games, but he still wanted to compete. He had that hunger. And and so he took up competitive cycling for a few years But then he decided it was time for him to give back. And he felt called to go into medicine. And he followed in the footsteps of his father and became an orthopedic surgeon. And now he's able to help athletes achieve their goals. He understood because he heard and felt the drive in his own life. And so he helps them hear their own potential and helps them achieve that. He's been closely connected with the U.S. speed skating team and has been the team doctor for four different Olympic Games. And he sees and helps to work with individuals and athletes for them to hear the message that God has for them, to live life to the fullest. God blesses us and works in our lives so that we might be a blessing for others. And third, 
God works in our lives and speaks to us because God is doing something new. I love when Samuel goes back to his bed after the third time and he takes the advice of Eli. And when God calls him again, he responds by saying, Speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. And then God says, Behold, I'm about to do something new. Now, Samuel would have no way of knowing that he would go on to be a, an incredible prophet, that he would be the prophet that anointed the very first king of Israel, King Saul. But in that moment, Samuel understood that Israel was in a great time of crisis. They were falling away from God. They were socially and uh, politically just falling apart at the seams. The time of the judges had passed, and there's a great line at the end of the book of Judges that kind of describes it best. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, it was every person for themselves. They lived selfishly, self-centeredly. There was no respect, no kindness. What a better time for God's word to break through into the life of Samuel so that he could share a message of hope and love with the people. In times of crisis, we need to listen for God's voice. I have to be honest with you. I am really glad that the elections are over. But I was rather naive to think that after months and months of all this negative attack from both parties, from all the different issues, for months and months of that, I was rather naive to think that it would just be all fine and dandy Wednesday morning. It seems like it's continuing on and lingering, and, and the divide in our country is growing. But we don't have to be a part of that. We can be a part of something new, something different. Instead of listening to all the negativity on television or radio or social media, we can take time and listen for God's voice, for a message of what God is wanting to do in the world, something different, something new. I mean, we hunger for that. Don't we hunger for something new from what we've had? We can listen for God's voice, and I think one of the things that if we listen, we'll hear God calling us to kindness. Now, that may not seem like very much. That's, kindness seems rather insignificant when you talk about national or world issues, but I can tell you that kindness is one of the most powerful things that each and every one of us can do every day. Kindness changes lives. One of the ways that we can share kindness and share God's message of something new is, is by telling our own story, by sharing with others what we know that God has done in our lives, to share the times that we have felt God's presence in times of joy and especially in times of crisis or loss. Matt and Natalie Burns are members of our family of faith. And they have graciously allowed us to share their story. It was just a few years ago that they were wanting to have a child. And they tried and they tried. And, and finally, they were able to adopt. And their son, Fisher, was born in late August of 2013. 
Well, in November of 2013, just six weeks after they took Fisher home from the hospital, they found out they were pregnant, and they were so excited. They would find out that they were going to have another baby boy, and they would name him Will. Fisher was going to have a baby brother, and they couldn't have been happier. But then in January of 2014, tests seemed to reveal that Will might have a chance at trisomy 18. Trisomy 18 is a chromosomal disorder that has a high mortality rate, and infants that do survive with it are left with profound medical and physical complications. And so here they were raising one infant son, Fisher, and and praying for their other son to just survive each and every day. They had six months of that pregnancy going from day to day, and as the months rolled by, they learned more and more about trisomy 18, and they also discovered how affected Will was by the disease. And so their prayer became, please let us meet our son Over and over, they just wanted to meet him. And that prayer was answered on June 2nd, 2014, when Natalie gave birth to Will. They didn't know how long they would have with him, and yet they were determined that for whatever time he lived here on this earth, they would give him their best, their love, their attention, their joy. Ultimately, they would have three days with him, And those were filled with the presence of God. Over and over, Matt and Natalie talk about how they felt God's message to them. In the midst of their grief and struggle, they felt this reassurance. So much so that Natalie said that the moment she gave birth, she felt an overwhelming sense of God's peace in her life. Even their son, Fisher, who was just 10 months at the time, had such a sweet spirit. He seemed to smile and reach out for his baby brother and enjoy those moments. Matt talks about one of his favorite memories and what a gift it was that he, being a Yankees fan, a game, a Yankees game came on the television and he said, I got to share one baseball game with my son. In spite of their grief, they weren't bitter about all the time that they weren't going to have with him. They were grateful for the time they were given. On the morning of the third day, they were sitting by the huge window in their hospital room, holding Will in their arms when he passed away as the sun was coming up. And again, in in that moment, in the sunshine They heard God speaking God's love for them and their son, Will. They felt incredible loss, and yet they also felt comforted by God's reassurance of love for them and love for their son. They knew that God understood what they were going through. The Heavenly Father had watched as his son died and was raised up on the third day, and and here they were knowing that their infant son was raised up to eternal life on the morning of the third day. They felt God's love in those moments. On the drive home that evening from the hospital, 
The weather was dark and cloudy and it had started to rain and mist and it seemed to mirror the grief that they were feeling. But then Matt pulled the car over because he saw in the dark storm clouds the sun break through. And it, again, was this message from God that they were loved and Will had been welcomed home into the arms of his Savior. They were reminded that even in their darkest moments, God's joy and love shines through. Matt took a picture of that moment, and that image is now part of our campus up at St. Luke's Edmond. It's in the children's area, a place where children come in to register to be a part of the children's area where they can go and hear the message of God in their lives. It's called Will's Welcome. Now, for 10 months, Matt and Natalie had experienced incredible joy and unspeakable pain, but they didn't let the circumstances of their life prevent them from hearing God's message of love and comfort for them. And they continue to listen for God's message of love for their family, on how to love and raise their son Fisher, and how they can honor the memory of their son Will, and how they can ensure that all children know that they are welcome in the house of the Lord. Because they have listened to God's message and shared that story with others, they are game changers. If we will listen for God's message and share that message of hope and love in others' lives, we can change the world. Because God's love is the ultimate game changer. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers.